0: Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Bucher. Rick Bucher. Welcome to another episode of Bucher Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Bucher. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, and follow me on Twitter at Rick Bucher and on Instagram at Rick underscore Bucher. This is normally the time of the week that I'm joined by Will Blackman, former NFL vet and Super Bowl champ, but we're still working out the logistics of the time difference between London, where he is working for Sky Sports, covering the NFL for the next couple of months, and California, where I'm usually based. Short answer, this will be another edition of Buker Friendless, which based on some of the feedback we received is at least to the liking of a few vocal listeners. Uh, will and I, I believe, may be moving our podcast to the middle of the week. It's going to work better while he is over in London. That's at least the plan for now. So look for that later in the week. I'm actually recording this in Chicago, part of a business trip that I have to Chicago and New York. And a funny thing I discovered at dinner with a future business associate uh, who got into talking about... uh, spin cycles and or, uh, spin bikes and cycling. And, uh, I now choose my hotels based on whether they have a Peloton or not. Uh, cause I've just kind of fallen in love with making that part of my workout. In any event, um, he was telling me that he and his wife went to a spin class and, um, his wife said, uh, look around. What do you notice anything, anything different? And he goes, what? And he was the only one wearing those tight cycling shorts. Um, apparently, that's not what you do when you go to Soul Cycle or wherever. In any event, um, the funny part was he then explained how he figured out what he should wear. He looked up what would David Beckham wear to a spin cycle class, and indeed, photos came up showing exactly what David Beckham would wear, and they weren't uh, cycling shorts. So it turns out that that is his answer for. Uh, anything, any situation, any question that he may have when he's not certain what he should do or what he should wear, he Googles, what would David Beckham do? Go to the U.S. Open, go to the Kentucky Derby, um, a barbecue, you name it. Uh, So I thought it was funny. I thought I'd share it. All right. uh, Moving on to the normal part of our broadcast here rather than skip around and make big pronouncements about what we learned from, or what I learned from the world of sports this weekend, because that would be foolish, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the action that validated my position on a number of athletes and coaches that I've held for at least a few months, if not years. Basically, the things that happened this weekend that had me at least saying in my own mind, see, I told you. And then I'm also going to cop to a results or two that has me thinking I might have been, you know, the word about a few people. And finally, we'll dig into the Antonio Brown drama that illustrates exactly why it is more important than ever to question everything you read or hear and think critically for yourself, including this podcast. I want you guys to keep, look, don't one-source it. None of us can do that anymore because there's just too much janky information that's out there. And I promise you this, if it has anything to do with anything that I am reporting, uh, I welcome questions, respectfully posed, about anything I report or suggest could be happening in the world of sports. Now, if you come at me as having an agenda or not knowing what I'm talking about or reference something I admitted to getting wrong 10 years ago as a way to undermine credibility, my credibility on some other subject, I'm probably not going to respond. But understand this. I've been at this as long or longer than anyone. This is me picking up the trumpet and blowing my own horn. I've been at this as long or longer than anyone currently still active in the business. It makes me old, yes, but uh, it's certainly when it comes to the NBA. Nobody has been covering it longer than I have who is still active that I can think of. If I'm missing somebody, feel free to tell me. I'm, I'm certainly in the top three, but certainly in the top five. And no one, and I mean no one, has a higher batting average in stories successfully broken. I was at this way before social media media became a thing, which is why I understand that some younger fans may not be aware of that fact. Uh, and the fact that I stepped back from working my network and sources while I had a daily radio show, I didn't think that was going to be necessary, but that's what it turned out to be. I took a daily radio show and I took a daily radio show because I started a family and uh, and I wanted to be a dad. Um, those are those are factors. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm dedicating myself now to going toe to toe with Woj or Shams or, uh, or anybody whose primary focus is to break every piece of news they can. That's not what I do. It's not really what I ever sought to do. But I am re-engaging. And I do intend over, well, the foreseeable future give you more behind the scenes information than I have the last few years. Anybody who followed me uh, over the course of this past spring uh, with the free agency and what I was able to tell you about Kyrie Irving and KD and whatnot. um, Anyway, it's it's a sample of what uh, I hope to continue with. And that may just lead to breaking a few stories. I guess we'll see. All right. Back to this weekend. Positions validated. The first one is going to seem like an odd one because it's about a college football coach who isn't coaching football right now. And that's Urban Meyer. His work for FS1 has actually helped me understand why he has so many disciples who consider him a builder of men through football despite a history of ignoring, if not co-signing, some pretty shady behavior by some pretty troubled players and coaches. That's just a fact. Uh, It's a fact that he did that, and it's also a fact that he's developed some pretty damn good football players. Uh, This is why. Because he is a master at building football players. His understanding of the game ability to identify talent and teach it how to excel is so clear by the way he has walked his colleagues on the desk through plays and strategy, whether it be on that faux football field or B-roll video of real action, even instantly explaining how he'd adapt if he had, say, a fellow analyst, uh, uh, Reggie Bush or Leinert, uh, shows both a decisiveness and a means of instilling confidence that is both mesmerizing and inspiring. And I have no doubt that if I played for him, I'd have run through a proverbial wall for him. But this is where we get tripped up all the time. And by we, I mean media and fans. We interpret noble qualities exhibited on the field, pitch, diamond, or court, as proof of virtue off of it. And that simply isn't an equation that holds up. now my responsibility, our responsibility as members of the media is to pull back the curtain on that because we have the opportunity to watch people like Urban Meyer up close. We get to see how he treats people and how he handles situations and whether he is forthright and honest on a daily basis. It's our job to see to get past the window dressing. Now, I know there's some fans out there that become beholden to guys who have success, maybe for their favorite team, and they want to believe that the builder of football players is also the builder of men. And it's just not true. It's not always true. Sometimes it is. But it's our job as media to distinguish between the two, to do the research to find out what's real and not real. And so that often means that we're going to have people who don't like what we discover about their heroes. Nonetheless, that comes with the job. And on the other hand, what I see a lot of in the media today is less work on that and more buying into the image or the window dressing. And that's an abdication of the job, as I see it. Two other non NFL events that I tied together, which I would say probably no one else would. And I went into them thinking that they were connected, which might give you some insight into how my mind works. The Army Michigan game and the Women's US Open final between Serena Williams and Bianca Andrescu. I saw them as both case tests. For the balance between superior physical talent and mental toughness. And that's a formula or an equation that I've been long fascinated by. Like, how athletic do you have to be to compete against somebody who is superior athletically, bigger, stronger, faster? How much mental discipline do you have to have? Or how much of a mental edge do you have to have to overcome their superior physical talent? And there's a lot of factors that go into it, and it's this is not something that can be broken down purely by analytics, but those are two elements, two big elements as I see it with every athlete, with every team. And I have this theory formed over decades now of watching the best of the best perform while getting a chance to observe how they prepare and talk to them directly about their views and the way they think, that extreme physical superiority, and when we say extreme physical superiority, I mean those athletes. Uh, Zion Williamson, perhaps, is an example. LeBron James, Serena Williams. That extreme physical superiority, Will Chamberlain, is both a gift and a curse. It's a gift, of course, in the natural advantage being bigger, stronger, or faster provides in athletic events. But it's also a curse for those who look to ride that physical ability all the way to the very tippy top of their sport because that natural advantage results in fewer tests of willpower along the way, of tests. Of how do I find a way around or through this seemingly insurmountable obstacle as they climb the ladder? The greater the physical advantage, the longer an athlete can ride it and skirt strict adherence to fundamentals, discipline, and, and execution to succeed. We see it with college players all the time, particularly in basketball. Like if they're a certain size, speed, athleticism, they're gonna get drafted. They're gonna make it to the NBA. And Their fundamentals may not be all that solid. There may be a lot of holes in their game, but their athleticism is so great, it can carry them, it can propel them. But the reality is, at some point, that great physical ability has to be married with great discipline, execution, and fundamentals to be a champion. Now, Army demonstrated tremendous discipline execution, fundamentals, toughness, in taking a far superior physical Michigan team to overtime. When Army first lined up on offense, it looked like a peewee team facing a high school team. And then when they were on defense, you almost couldn't see their line when they took the camera view from behind the quarterback. And then what was really stunning was to watch Army Essentially, manhandled Michigan playing big boy smash mouth football, despite their size and speed disadvantage. Now, this is a kind of a personal subject for me because as as someone who had to figure out how to make the most out of every ounce of athleticism he had to play Division One soccer in an Ivy League school. And I only point out the Ivy League part because that means the athletic competition was further muted than it normally would be at a division at the Division One level, uh, because you needed to spend a great deal of time in high school doing things other than being an athlete to uh, just get in the door. As a result, I root for players and teams that have to work off a similar formula. I identify with them. I appreciate what they have to go through, and the dedication and the the resilience. Now, that doesn't prevent me from also having the utmost respect for the great athletes who are also maniacally dedicated to discipline execution fundamentals. The Kobe's, the Michael Jordan's, the Barry Bonds's, the Tom Seaver's, Jerry Rice's, and Steve Young. There's, there's, there's many more. I mentioned a number of those just because, uh, as I said, I've, I've, I live in the Bay Area, and um, I got to know them uh, on, a, on a personal basis, almost all of them uh, on, a, on a personal basis or a personal level. Uh, So I know a little bit more uh, about them and and what went into them. Now, but here's the thing. If the difference in physical talent is too great, all the execution and discipline won't matter. If if the opposing superior physical, physical talent has at least a modicum of attention to detail and mental toughness. And that's what happened to ARMY. When it came time for their quarterback to make a play in overtime that was outside the option running game, that he had honed to perfection, he couldn't do it. There's a reason Army only passed a handful of times during the game. He just didn't have the requisite receivers or quarterback with the size and arm to make it work. So when it came for the defense, Or when it came for the defense, the Army defense to stop the Michigan running back from getting past the goal line, his length and strength when he laid out was simply too much. Army maximized who they were and what they had, and it was almost enough, but not quite. I expected the women's final to be another example of the same after watching Serena hit ground ground strokes so hard that her first round opponent, an Asian player whose name escapes me, was literally staggering backward on her return shots as if she was fending off body blows. But I also knew that Serena had a history of seeming to let her struggles snowball. When she wasn't playing up to her expectations, she would become her own worst enemy and has been even though she's won some uh, 20-plus Grand Slam events. So I knew she had some history, in spite of all that, that she would enter as a solid favorite, and those, those matches would turn into upsets. And I can't help but feel that that hole in her mental game is similar to LeBron's. In that their vast physical superiority kept them from looking up from the bottom of a barrel and knowing, or at least believing, that if they didn't fight a, find a way to fight their way out of it, they'd never achieve their dreams. That as they were coming up, there was just, they were able to take certain shortcuts because of their physical dominance. Uh, or, I mean, let's face it, with LeBron's gifts, he's been coveted since he was 14 years old. He was always going to get another chance no matter what he did. Wins, losses, performances, whatever. The talent has always been just too tantalizing for any coach or team to turn its back on. I don't blame anybody for that. I uh, applaud LeBron, uh, respect him, admire him that he had that. But through, I don't even know if I'd say it's a fault of his. I don't know that it's a fault of his, but as a result... He just, he didn't have to go through the same baptisms of fire. And look, I understand when it comes to serene. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great... that required a mental toughness to endure, and obviously Serena, like LeBron, has mastered the balance of talent and discipline and toughness enough to become a a champion several times over. But I still believe it's fair to look at how dominating she is from a physique standpoint and suggest that it can actually work against her when faced by an opponent who is not intimidated by her her power or strength. Uh, Because I imagine a vast majority of their opponents are. And when you look at a player like Bianca at 19 57 uh, i don't know what she weighs i don't in comparison to uh, serena's listed at 59 155 i'm going to say bianca's probably at least 135 maybe pushing 140 she's she's built too um romanian his family is Gone from her being born in Canada to going back to Romania to coming back to Canada again. The Wikipedia page says that she was raised by her two Romanian uh, grandmothers uh, in Canada, even though her parents uh, were supposedly there and in her life. Uh, I, I don't know what's I don't know the ins and outs of what she's faced, but for someone at nineteen, she's she's seen a few things. She's bounced around a bit, and so there's a certain certain mental toughness comes with that. And then you add in, you know, that the physical uh, separation that Serena had, not quite what it is with, certainly with her first round opponent. That's the equation where we saw it go the other way. And I'm constantly observing that and weighing it and would love to you know if there's anything about analytics that i try to figure out it would be it would be that how do we measure those things and see what the requisite baseline of athleticism is needed for in a given situation and how do you measure mental toughness how do you read that how do you gauge that in an athlete those are things we don't know other than by eye test anecdotal narrative you know those things that the numbers people think are uh, fools gold uh, and yet, to me, they are how you measure some of the most important intangibles that exist. All right. Speaking of all that, um, and going to the players and the coaches in the NFL realm, uh, realm, I am still a seller, not a buyer, on Sam Darnold. My FS1 colleague uh, Colin Cowherd has made some has made some pretty convincing arguments over the last few months that had me. Uh, reconsidering uh, but from the very beginning and seeing him at USC the tools are all there except the one that is most essential for an elite QB and that is the IQ the ability to process things and make quick accurate decisions and then translate it to the necessary hand eye coordination i'm just not convinced this isn't this isn't pure intelligence IQ. I don't know where he is on that. I'm just not convinced he has the mental bandwidth to be everything that an elite quarterback has to be. Good quarterback. Yeah, okay. But elite. And that's what he's been advertised is, uh, as. I'm not buying. Baker Mayfield demonstrated me, demonstrated to me that he has that in spite of what they did week one. Like, he can see it. He can make better decisions. He can make he can make the decisions in the time that needs to be made, and he can put the ball where it needs to be made. I'm still not sold on Darnold's new coach, Adam Gaze, either. Too many issues on his watch in Miami to blame it all on bad acts in the locker room, this whole dalliance with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, I'm just not feeling it. Haven't felt it for quite some time. I am still of the belief Andy Dalton is a good quarterback, but never will be a great quarterback or even a consistently good one. The ball slipping out of his hand that led to an interception after the defense gave him the ball in the red zone against the Seahawks to start the second half. Yeah, you can attribute it to the rain that had just begun to fall, but it always seems to be something. And when there's always some circumstance, constantly changing, but always something that happens that undercuts someone from taking full advantage of their opportunity, At some point, you have to realize it may just be that someone isn't good enough to overcome less than ideal circumstances. When everything's rolling in their direction, they can look like a world beater. Well, the reality is everyone is faced with less than ideal circumstances regularly in their lives. And success is defined by overcoming those circumstances. Football or sports in general aren't any different. They're just on a platform for everyone to see. I am still questioning that Freddie Kitchens is the coach for all that talent the Cleveland Browns have. And they do have quite a bit of it, which takes an extra special coach to make the most of it. Uh, Del Harris versus Phil Jackson. I'll leave that right there. Now, for the... I may have to rethink this one entry. Mike Tomlin. I've defended him the past few years for the team's lack of execution and discipline at times because he had a team disciplined enough, was disciplined enough as a coach to win a Super Bowl. You don't win a Super Bowl by accident. You don't win, as we discussed earlier in this podcast, you don't win strictly by having just superior talent. And I attributed the the lack of discipline over the last few years to having such high-strung elite talents like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Ben Ro- Roethlisberger—that's uh, they—they all three, handfuls, immensely talented, uniquely talented at their positions. I felt as if maybe the overall lack of discipline was trying to manage those guys and manage the rest of the team, and still hold it together. Those those guys are all, it's like Phil Jackson who had to bend his ways to get the best out of Dennis Rodman or Greg Popovich knew he'd have to bend and got rid of him instead. I thought Tomlin was in the Phil Jackson shoes and simply had more Dennis Rodmans and not enough Michael Jordans to be able to hold it together. And maybe having a Palomalu and... Some of the other guys that he had earlier allowed him to uh, to make it work. But making allowances for your stars demands that you have other stars that can keep everyone else in line, or complementary players and position coaches who can police themselves. But here's the thing. Two of those guys are gone now. It's only Big Ben. And the Steelers were still woefully, fundamentally unsound in way too many areas against the Patriots. Now, maybe they're still clearing the residue from the last few years. As my friend Gary Owen, who also has a podcast on the United Wecast Network, check it out. It's the Get Some podcast. As he said, NFL players will tell you, don't go overboard on anything that happens the first week. It takes about a month to really sort out who's the real deal and who's not. October will know. So October we will have a better read on whether the Patriots is simply the Patriots who have the Steelers' number, as they have a lot of other teams' number, or whether Tomlin just is not uh, the coach that he needs to be to take advantage of what the Steelers have. So I'm not giving up on Tomlin just yet, but he's now on my watch list for sure. Now, to the Antonio Brown matter, I'm going to dispense with this fairly quickly. The entire saga is proof that we as consumers of news have to be more vigilant, judicious, and maybe even cynical than we've ever been. There's so much here and so much that's been reported that I I can't believe any rational person would be expected to accept it at at face value. Let's start with the suggestion that he hired a social media advisor to force the Raiders to release him, giving his moves this sheen of being a master plan, a man playing four-dimensional chess. Did he really need a social media advisor to tell him that posting the team's private business, as in the fine letter from GM Mike Mayock, was going to upset the team and lead them to consider getting rid of him? or that publicizing a private phone call with coach John Gruden that made Gruden appear to be an enabler for Brown while making a feeble attempt, but the attempt at persuading Antonio that he had to put football first, that that wouldn't potentially be the last straw. He needed, he needed a social media visor to tell him that those things would really might push the, the Raiders over the edge. Really? And, did the social media advisor come on board before or after Antonio put out the video from going to the De La Salle high school football game and having the crowd adore him? Which was as uh, maybe not quite the the uh, production wasn't quite as high as the John Gruden phone call one, but it was pretty good. It wasn't just, you know, there wasn't just selfie work. But the point is, Antonio has been quite proficient for quite some time at utilizing social media for his benefit. This is, after all, the same guy who broadcast on Facebook Live from the Steelers' locker room immediately after a game for 250 k or whatever it was. And go back and look at his Twitter feed. There's a post in which he's thanking Gruden for always having his back. He, retweet, he retweeted, multiple posts by the Raiders showing him making a visit to Derek Carr's house and other things in which he was reveling in being a Raider. If he was never happy as a Raider, if his protest is that the NFL system allowed the Steelers to trade him to Oakland and not send him to his preferred destination, which was New England, his antics would have started well before the last few weeks. Now. Do I think at some point he decided he didn't want to be a Raider, got wind that the Patriots still would happily take him if the Raiders bounced him and decided that's what he wanted? No doubt. But did he wear wet socks in the cryo chamber so that he ended up with uh, frostbite on his feet? He did that in order to... Get out from the Raiders? Come on. Not a chance. The part of the story that is most important here, that I've heard nobody, nobody even give an inkling of, or even suggest that they're chasing it, is what changed his mind about the Raiders? Was it the, oh bleep, Derek Carr is nowhere as good as Big Ben? And I may pay a price for that let me go play with Tom Brady because I know what he can do. Or, oh, bleep, John Gruden is not who I thought he was, and I may pay a price for that. Let me go play for Belichick because I've seen firsthand in our Steelers-Patriots matchups what he can do. Because it was something. Something changed. So I don't really care. If he hired a social media advisor, that is the diversion that Drew Rosenhaus, I assume, is putting out there to make this look like it was calculated. All the behavior by Antonio Brown was calculated. And I don't care if the Patriots tampered. Of course they did. What I care about is what convinced Antonio Brown to torch his relationship with the Raiders. When did he make that decision? Who led him to make it? Because there may have been a very legitimate reason. And if there was, I'm not going to blame Antonio Brown for creating the circus. On the other hand, if Mayock fining him for breaking a team rule is the alpha and omega of Antonio believing his personal freedom was being compromised, that the man was keeping him down, then I'm going to look at him as just being too immature to make the most of obscenely His obscenely extensive God-given physical talents. Look, he may go to the Patriots, and they may kill it. I'm not of the mind that this is some karm. There's some karmic element that is going to undermine the Patriots as a result of this. I'm going to leave that to my other FS1 colleague, Jason Whitlock, who who even put his money where his mouth is and bet that that would happen, that the Steelers would uh, exploit the Patriots. All right, so I'm not going to look at this as karma karma is going to flip back on the Patriots and as a result the Patriots are going to have a bad season they're going to pay a price because they had the audacity to sign Antonio Brown for now I'm just going to look at this as a mistake by the Raiders in trading for a guy they didn't do enough homework on followed by Brown jeopardizing his career to get away from them when they did figure out who he was and he figured out who they were but save that this was some stroke of genius by antonio because of where he landed it cost him too much money and it adds too much baggage on the already crowded cart that his that is his reputation look the thunder thought they could make it work with carmelo anthony so did the rockets but at some point your talent isn't enough to overcome concerns about your attitude and effect on a team's chemistry Financially, the Patriots don't make a habit of handing out gargantuan contracts. So he's not likely to make back what he could have made or get a Julio Jones deal in New England. Which means he has no choice, but he has to make this work. And if the Patriots decide his act is too much for them too, he can forget about the Brinks truck his talent should command ever showing up at his door, or even possibly another team giving him yet another chance. If it's genius to put yourself in that situation, okay, then I guess that's genius. To me, look, taking a wrong turn and driving down a rutted road that ruins your suspension, but eventually leads back onto the highway, that's not genius. It's surviving a predicament of your own making. So congratulations, Antonio, for finding your way to another team with a better coach and a better quarterback. And better shot at Winning a Super Bowl. Just don't think they're willing to take you on is because they admire how you made it possible. Before I go, I want to mention uh, our sponsor, Republic Jet Center. Look, there's a reason you, you choose to fly privately, especially into the New York metro area, and that's to avoid delays. You want to get in, you want to get out, you want to, have to go through the hassle of commercial flights when flying to New York City, Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale, New York should be your only choice. Don't get caught up in delays flying into Teterboro or White Plains. Choose Republic Jet Center and you'll experience all the reasons why you chose to fly privately. Not only can you land and take off on time, but getting to the city is as quick as a 12-minute helicopter ride, which their white glove concierge service will gladly arrange from a brand new 100,000, 100,000, I always screw that up. It's 100,000 square feet. That's the size of the facility with an array of snacks and beverages provided while you wait. If you've never flown private, find out what it's all about by visiting www.republicjetcenter.com. And for those who already are part of the private jet set, mention this ad and RJC will provide a discount on your refueling costs. All right, that does it for this episode of Bucher Friendless, subsidiary of Bucher and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Thank you for those of you who have re- reviewed the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget, if you do review us, simply screenshot that review and send it to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win some prizes. All right, uh, in the next podcast, uh, I was able to get a hold of Will and we are going to try to hook up Uh, In the next couple days And record and get his take On Antonio Brown uh, Everything we saw The dramatic finish Between the Texans and the Saints Again Gotta give it a full month But there was so much that happened With Josh Allen and Sam Darnold And the Saints and the Texans And the Seahawks And yes, even the Bengals That we have plenty to get into And we will In the meantime, as always